it's always shocking to me just how few female founders there are. There's maybe five, at least in Nigeria, female founders who've raised the Series A. A lot of the traditional funds or even just investors that are male didn't understand the market size, weren't sort of excited by it. They couldn't even relate to the problem. That's Yanmo Omorogba, the co-founder and COO of Bamboo, and Sneha Mehta, the co-founder and CEO of Uncover. It sounds like there's a lot of different objectives and ways to measure success. If there aren't enough deals to do, then that is the problem. When you're giving somebody a no, how do you coach them to get to a yes? I do think money raised is the right metric to use. I also think it's important that we don't move away from that. Despite research showing that female founders outperform their male peers, startups with a solo female founder or an all-female founding team raised a mere 2% of all the funding in Africa last year. There is a huge gender funding gap. How do we close it? This episode is the first of a five-episode series on gender lens investing, co-hosted by Eloho Omame, founding partner of First Check Africa, an early-stage fund backing female-led startups. Each episode of this series will explore a different level of the fundraising value chain. In this episode, we're joined by the founders, Yanmo Omorogba, the co-founder and COO of the Nigerian investment platform Bamboo, and Sneha Mehta, the co-founder and CEO of Uncover, a direct-to-consumer skincare brand in Kenya. This series is created under the ScaleX project, co-designing solutions to close the early-stage gender financing gap in Africa, an initiative of Make IT in Africa. Make IT in Africa promotes entrepreneurship and innovation ecosystems across Africa for green and inclusive development. The program is implemented by the German development agency GIZ on behalf of the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development. Before we start, we have one small favor to ask. If you enjoy the show and want to support the content that we create, please hit that subscribe button. It only takes a second, but it will mean a lot to us if you do. For Justin and I, as we've approached this series a little bit, We've really been thinking about this idea of gender lens investing into high growth companies, but this two different experiences, right, that, that I've learned emerge, which is on the one hand, I'm not building an obviously technology, um, a, a technology business, like for example, Bamboo would be a, a software driven business in a much more obvious way um, versus, you know, Sneha with Uncover, where you're dealing with a, a business that is serving a female dominated consumer base, high growth potential, etc. But, you know, it's not really ultimately a software play. And so you have this ecosystem that has effectively talks about a gender funding gap. Um, you have a fairly active, vocal, noisy venture capital ecosystem that wants to try and address that. But of course, you also have women who are building businesses that are not necessarily traditionally venture, who are building great businesses and also need support to build those high growth businesses. So a couple of questions in there, and I'd love to hear from each of you. Maybe we'll start with you, Yamo. So I guess, what are your thoughts, perceptions around this gender lens ecosystem as a whole that aims to support and invest in female founders in Africa. Notably, you know, you're a female founder, you're co-founder of Bamboo, but you know, I don't think your cap table necessarily has any specifically gender lens funds in it. So talk to us about as somebody who is a female founder in this ecosystem, what your impressions are of the work that is being done, needs to be done to support female founders. You're right to say that like for us at Bamboo, we haven't we don't have a specific gender focus across you know any part of our business so we don't like go out looking like for gender focused anything be it you know investing etc but i think there's no doubt that there's work to be done um you know so for example every year i try and put up a put out a call for female founders who are applying to y combinator and say hey if you need help with your application i'll help you with the application help you review it and it's always shocking to me just how few female founders there are 
across the board. If you check the Africa stats, there's less, there's maybe five, at least in Nigeria, founders, who've, female founders who've raised in Series A. And, you know, we're not even talking about sole female founders, just literally companies with a female co-founder. So I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And I think even from the investor lens, there's probably a lot of work even on the investor lens in terms of the investors raising capital as well from LPs in terms of like for gender focused investing. But I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in actually getting the cash in the hands of women, either from the lens of getting more female founders on the table and getting more women starting companies or, you know, getting these female founders, you know, funded. There's a whole, what the word, um, I guess, trope around like female founders are over advised and underfunded, which I think is true. But I think there's also work to be done on that end as well. Around A lot of the startup world is about like just being like ridiculously, almost bizarrely confident. And I think there's you know, stuff we can do in helping women get to this place where you think you're like the best thing since sliced bread, even though you just have this idea and you think it's cool. So Sneha, before I get you to answer sort of the same question and sort of general impressions, let me quickly follow up on that point, Yama, with a specific question. Do you feel... As a female founder, technology-driven business, Y Combinator, a cap table that doesn't necessarily have any gender lens funds in it. I don't know if that's by that's incidental or it's by construction. But do you feel like the ecosystem that is trying to address this gender funding gap is talking to you, includes you? I'm curious the extent to which you you feel that. That's an interesting question. I'm not sure. I think so far the conversation is very like if we think about investing it's very like we want to give money to female founders so i'm like aware that it applies to me because i'm a female founder i think for me specifically i don't necessarily wake up and think like i'm a female founder today and what does being a woman doing this look like and so that sort of feeds into how i think about everything when it comes to like the gender-based lens like when we're fundraising we want to raise money from the best investors as quickly as possible so in like generally we found in my own experience it's been harder to raise money from gender-based investors so that's probably why we you know when we think about it we don't have as many on our cap table there's few we've spoken to but like the processes are much longer the only investors i've had asked me for like audited financial statements or like five years financial models have been like gender focused investing and i don't and that's probably a coincidence you know i'm not saying anything and it is what it is though i also don't remember that i think have a general thing of it's harder to raise money i just think it is one of those things yeah i think you know they speak to women i recognize that you know i can read i know that they're talking to female founders obviously they're talking to me every day and think about my experiences through the lens of I am a female founder and is this because I'm a female founder? Should I be doing X, Y, Z, become a female founder? I kind of have always been a woman, have always existed in this body and I happen to also run a company and those two things just happen to exist at the same time. So Sneha, on your side, you know, I guess the company is very different. The story, the narrative from an investor perspective is very different. The cap table looks very different and the journey is a little bit earlier. You know, you, you haven't, you know, you haven't raised um, a series A, but I think you're one round before. What are your impressions, your, pers- your perspective on, on the ecosystem as a whole um, and the extent to which it is talking to you as a female founder, addressing your needs as a female founder, etc.? Yeah, no, I'm happy to share my thoughts and actually really interesting to hear yours, Yadmo, because our, our story is actually quite different and we're a little bit of a different animal and at the time we were raising initially right after we were incubated by antler 
we were definitely one of the first of our kind, sitting sort of incubated by a VC firm with a physical products business, but a digital kind of strategy and a direct-to-consumer platform. People couldn't place us. We also started raising at a time when it was the peak of the fintech excitement and bubble, right? So if you didn't say you were fintech or one of the other hot sectors, and the fact that we said that we were physical, we had a physical products component, almost kind of cut the conversation with a lot of investors. And we, we really felt like we weren't able to break that initial barrier of like, oh, you're not pure play tech and software, so I'm just not gonna listen. And I think initially we were quite disheartened, to be honest, when we started fundraising. We'd grown really rapidly, we'd shown, you know, decent sort of first traction, um, but we weren't able to get past that barrier where a lot of the excitement in the industry was for very specific sectors and we looked different. And so for us, I think a couple of things, Gender Lens Investment actually did come in to play as the people who actually did listen, and I won't say it's the entirety, I'd say about 30, 40% around that came from Gender Lens investors of our seed round, right? So it wasn't everything. But I do believe that that first check that we got from First Check, actually, which was one of the first checks that we did get, opened the conversation up for a lot of other people to be like, oh, okay, like, wait a minute, let's, let's look at this a little bit more. And so we found that in our journey, a lot of the traditional funds or even just investors that are male didn't either understand the problem, didn't understand the market size, weren't sort of excited by it. They couldn't even relate to the problem, which by definition, because our primary consumer is, is female, um, the conversations were getting shut down pretty fast. Whereas with gender-based investors that typically had a female investor as part of their team, were able to relate to that market opportunity, the market size. And then once they kind of opened their perspective to listen, we were able to then walk them through the digital strategy, the tech component, the tech vision for the business. But it took breaking through those initial barriers to get there. Uh, I also just want to mention, you know, one of the things you suggested, which was quite valuable to us, is kind of creating an experiential deck for male investors to kind of understand the problem that we were solving because essentially we kept getting people being like but how big could the market size be how big could the market size be and we then ended up compiling like google searches for the word skincare and just kind of creating this this deck that brought people along the journey um with us which leads me to my next question. So as each of you found that you were pitching your, maybe let's say seed rounds, right? So we're talking about the same relative um, com comparable stages. Curious, Sneha, where did you find that when you were selling to a new investor, where did you find that you had to do the most work? Was it on the market as you've described? Was it on the business model itself? Was it on team, product, scalability, something else perhaps that was sort of notable in, in your experience and your journey fundraising? And then perhaps Neha, when you articulate your response, then, then Yamo, I'd love to hear sort of the, the an uh, analog from you. So for us, I would categorize the investors in, in two broad buckets. There were those who didn't even need an explanation on the market opportunity or the market size. They just, they had seen consumer explode in Asia. They'd seen it in the US. They had kind of experienced the sector or because they were a woman or, or for whatever reason, they experienced the problem themselves and they almost immediately understood the market opportunity. So I, I almost didn't have to 
do that much work on the market opportunity for those that heard the problem and understood it. And then there were those that just didn't believe it and the conversation ended. So I would say market opportunity, interestingly, was the area where we did the least work because we either had people who believed it or they didn't believe it. For us, I would say there was a lot of work that we had to do around tech, you know, for obvious reasons like we've described in explaining the digital strategy because we have a physical products component. So really taking people through our direct-to-consumer platform, our acquisition and retention strategies, our skin quiz, our teleconsultations, our content, and, and articulating that digital strategy, that plan and vision for uh, digital and tech, that would be the, the number one section. And I would say the second part was just the working capital side of the business as well. Our business does have a working capital component to it. So a lot of the questions came up on how are you going to target this? How are you going to tackle this? And so we did a lot around you know, cash flow and understanding the cash needs of the business as we'd grow and what they would be. I guess for us, it'll be market, right? Because we do fintech and, you know, Africa fintech. So the number one investor question is always boils down to do Africans have money to invest for us anyway. And it's just being able to prove the market, prove the thesis, prove that revenue opportunity. That's been it. Just zooming out a little bit, looking at the sort of goals and objectives of like gender lens investing more broadly. I think the way in which success is typically measured, I suppose, is by looking at how much funding is raised by women founders. And Yamo, I think you said that maybe you're contributing to the sort of total number for the ecosystem, but it's a bit incidental and in that you, you know, don't view yourself explicitly as like, a, you know, I'm trying to raise gender lens. And so I guess if the goal is more money for women founders, there's a question about you know, should more women start, you know, software businesses or more women start fintechs because typically those are the businesses that that have raised more venture capital. How do you think about that question, especially you talked about trying to mentor and support some women founders to get into YC? Do you think that there should be more women founders starting tech companies? So for me, that's a trick question because as someone who runs a tech company, I wouldn't advise anyone to start a tech company. <laughs> Unless it was your dream. So I'm a big believer in like paths, right? My whole career philosophy is find a problem that like really bothers you and try to solve it. And so for some people, the solution is a tech company or whatever. But for other people, it's not. But I always say a lot of things are tech, right? A lot of stuff is tech enabled. I mean, Sneha is doing a skincare business that is tech enabled. Tech just helps you scale whatever it is. What I do tell women in general is that whatever dream you have, whatever goal you have, there is room to scale it like women we want to encourage women to dream of scale more i think so it's not so much as doing a tech business but it's like dream of scaling dream that your business that you're currently doing for 100 people on instagram can go to a million people and then a billion people dream of scaling and if you dream of scaling the only way to scale is tech right and so that all happens also since we want more women to get funded and that means across the value chain we need more female vc companies getting funded because it is a fact that people give money to people that look like them and so we need you know more women to think about scale we need more women across not necessarily being founders you know being product managers and main customer experience we need just more women across the entire value chain so that there's no more news that like you're a woman founder like no there's no term like male founder right they're just founders and then they're female founders and you know there's vcs and female vcs and we need like enough women that's ubiquitous enough that there's just people doing stuff and we're giving money to the best businesses and i think 
when we see that happening and being really, really focused on that, then you'll find that they're also hopefully getting more money. If they're more, you know, if they're more, there's more aloha than, you know, doing first check, there's just going to be more money coming, going into the hands of women. And, you know, the stats already show us that the returns that women give speaks for themselves. So I think it's also not charity investing. I think that's like a lens that I'm always mentioning that investing women is in charity. But currently a lot of the discourse sounds like this diversity and inclusion effort well, you know, we're doing everyone a favor. It's not, you know, women are getting the returns. So it's just more highlighting that and speaking on it more and, you know, making a lot more noise. I do try and tell women and I'm guilty of that as well. Um, but, you know, women need to do a better job of making noise because men do a really great job at that. And one thing about fundraising, I think that you see is that noise gets you a lot of clicks, which gets you more money. And Snea, how do you think about this question? Maybe from your perspective, it's a little bit different because you're also trying to convince people that a physical product company and also one that's targeting women consumers has perhaps just as much upside um, commercially as a fintech does. So how do you think about this question in the context of the goal being, you know, more money raised for women founders? Yeah, I went through a whole cycle when we started getting our initial, you know, rejections or no's, you know, when we first started, I was like, oh, I wish I was a tech company, you know, pure play tech company, just because it's so easy when you say some of these words and not not that it's easy, of course, but it seemed like that when we were, um, when we were raising. But very interestingly, as this VC funding winter has come and as we have stayed true to what we are doing without kind of pivoting just because of, you know, feedback or what was hot at the time, I think what we have found is that businesses like ours have uh, a clear path to profitability, which has become the new buzzword. It's become the new term of the day, right? It's become a business that still has actually quite high growth potential, extremely high growth potential. But at the same time, once you find product market fit, you're seeing kind of more reliable structured growth with that kind of product market fit, you know, within uh, the expansion opportunities regionally or within products. And so I think what has been interesting for me is I've kind of gone full circle of like just feeling a little envious of, um, you know, the businesses when we first started and being like, oh my God, you know, what if we had some of these initial buzzwords to actually valuing the fact that we have the growth opportunities, we have the growth potential. We actually are in a place where we've broken even, you know, in the last quarter, we've grown faster than a lot of the businesses in our cohort. And I think just valuing that businesses that are tech enabled and not only pure play tech actually have strong opportunities. The other thing that we've done is we've worked with the likes of, you know, Ilho, but also a lot of our other investors to kind of refine uh, communication around um, our tech strategy. So we realized a little bit, you know, during our journey that for a business like ours, if you're not using some of the right terminology or the right words, even though you're doing the same thing, you might be shutting doors. So I think there is something around communication that we improved. The second thing is we just suddenly became hot and now non-gender lens funds are looking at us because they're like, oh wait, you have traction and you're profitable. And wait a minute, like you didn't burn that much cash. So suddenly like the same business two years later looks exciting. And then I think the last thing is just really learning around, I, I completely agree with Yanmo around just making noise, um, storytelling and ensuring that regardless of the sector that you're in, you know, not focusing too much of that, just focusing on business fundamentals and then making a lot of noise on all your achievements and saying, yeah, like these are my gross margins. This is my growth rate. These are my plans. But you know, when you 
sort of strip sector out of it and you just look at market opportunity and business fundamentals and growth opportunity, then I don't really know if it matters, you know, whether you're pure play tech or tech enabled. This is really interesting. I think you both have touched on, we've spoken to quite a few people as we've recorded this this series, um, investors, LPs, ecosystem enablers, yourselves as founders, and really sort of thinking about this question of, and we'll come to it in a, in a bit more detail, but this question of what success looks like for the ecosystem. But as you both were responding to that question around if it's more money and lots of capital is going into tech companies, should we be starting more tech companies? You both said no. Um, or should women be starting? You both said no, not necessarily, which I think is perfect. You know, of course, the right answer. One thing that did come through in both of your responses for me was, you know, you both touched on, for example, communication and storytelling. You both touched on, you know, tooting our own horns a little bit more as women. Yamo, you said a bizarre level of, of confidence and sort of aspiring to that. You also both talked a bit about um, scalability and level of ambition. And that's something that also came through on some of our investor side conversations, where um, I think one term that uh, an investor used was raising our, our aspirations as, as, as female founders. So I think this is an ecosystem that talks, is well-meaning, wants to help female founders, talks a lot to female founders about what they could be doing better, differently, and supports them very often to, to, to do those things. But if we look at the other side of it, right? So there are multiple sides to an ecosystem. So look at the other side, look at the investors, look at the people allocating capital. What do you think that that very well-meaning, female-focused startup ecosystem that is speaking to you, addressing you as female founders needs to be doing more of or less of in this journey to, to helping more female founders emerge? I'm going to start with something that Yanmo said in the beginning, but I do think it's... You know, I do think it's worth re resurfacing here as part of the, the answer to this question, which is that, you know, Yanmo mentioned something around like the only people that asked her for the five year financial model and something else <laughs> happened to be gender lens funds, right? And for us, it, it, it's not equal across gender lens funds, but if I did have to kind of group together the non gender lens funds and then the gender lens funds and just take an average, I would say that that does hold true in terms of the deeper due diligences or some of the requests, which again, having been on the investor side, I do understand the need to sort of do DD, but when you start comparing the two sectors, there's a difference there that we need to start understanding and addressing. Um, and to what extent, we all know that women get asked more risk-based questions, right? We, we all know that when women are raised, statistically at least, that's what the research says, but are they also coming from gender lens-based investors versus the traditional investors? So I think there's something around the investment process, the due diligence, the types of questions that are being asked across both, both sectors. And so I would say that for gender lens, lens investors, there's something around figuring out that investment process to make sure that it is like for like um, around the questions being asked, the kind of documentation being asked, and how quickly um, female investors are backed and, and supported if we look at the same investor in the same process across different spaces. Um, I do think that outside of that, like, again, yeah, no, you, you mentioned, I don't wake up thinking I'm a female founder, but I feel like there just needs to be a higher um, a higher supply. So what can the investor side do to increase the number of, of female founders, right? So to, to an extent, I think the investors are there, and I know we're looking at it from the gender lens investment side, but then if there aren't enough deals to do, then 
that is the that is the problem. So what can that community do to maybe when you're giving somebody a no, right? How do you coach them to get them to a yes? If you say you're too early or you need to develop your digital strategy or actually your market is too small, you need to think about this. You know, how do you then not just say a no, but say, hey, I'd like to ride this wave with you and then get you to a point of investment. So I think there is an element of just trying to make sure we work with the no's and work with them to make them into yeses, whether that's through coaching, whether that's through support or, um, you know, raising aspirations like we've said as well and increasing that overall supply of female founders that are investable. And Yamo, you, what would you say is the, the things that we should do more of or less of on the investor side? I think I'm going to echo Snea's last point, even though I don't have any solutions, is we all recognize that we need more female founders. I don't know what the answer is, but more of something that gets us more female founders because the number is small and not just female founders starting you know, the journey, but female founders across the value chain, because like I mentioned, when you look, at least I've only actually looked at Nigeria. In Nigeria, there's less than five female founded companies that raised a series A across the board. I'm sure, you know, the numbers maybe, and we get to 10 across Africa, I haven't checked, but how do we get, you know, female founders across the line, I think is extremely important. And how do we, you know, get capital you know, we've said maybe f- um, women aren't in a lot of the sectors that are currently getting a lot of capital today. And so it's how do we get capital into those sectors that, you know, women are, you know, usually involved in. Snea, you said something earlier that st- stuck out to me a little bit, just sort of juxtaposing the experience between a traditional like venture investor and the gender lens investors. And my impression throughout the series has been a little bit of like, it feels like it's a very heavy lift and a lot of work that's happening outside of the investment itself, right? Research, impact metrics, all of these different things. Perhaps that's a a requisite part of the process because the reality on the ground is that less funding is going towards women. So there needs to be this justification. There needs to be this extra work, but it also feels like it might be an unintended burden on the entrepreneurs, right? Whereas men can just raise in whatever way, uh, you know, pitch deck, and they don't necessarily have to do all of this extra work. So I'm curious to know what you think about that and that impression of the extent to which closing the gender lens gap is like inevitably creating more work for women founders, whether they identify as, you know, like female founders or not. Can I jump in with a quick direct question before you answer the question around the measurement, which is, do you have to do impact reporting? I know that we're one of your investors. We don't ask you for impact reporting, but I think that's because we actually like to position ourselves as, frankly, a mainstream venture capital fund that just happens to be investing in women, right? So I don't actually know the extent to which and what the level of the burden that you have around some of the the metrics that you have to submit are. So maybe give us a sense of what that looks like. And then, you know, the extent to which it it may or may not feel burdensome to you as you you navigate your journey vis-a-vis your your non-female peers. So, yeah, exactly that, you know, uh, with First Check, of course, we we literally just sort of do our quarterly reporting and jump on calls. And so it can vary from that, um, you know, as a gender lens fund to those that actually do have the metrics on percentage of women employed, percentage of women in leadership positions, percentage of, uh, you know, gender wage equity and things like that, three to five metrics to report on. And then if you do add sort of climate or any other additional aspect of the fund onto gender lens, so if they're gender lens plus climate or something like that, then there are additional metrics. But 
I think to your question, one story keeps ringing to me. I was out for dinner with a founder friend at the end of last year, and I was discussing something around reporting and a question that I was getting from an investor. And he was like, whoa, like my investors would never ask me that. And that was literally the tone of the reaction that I got. And I was like, really? And he's like, but they asked you that? And I was like, yeah. And you know, so I don't think I ever realized, because again, like Yanmo says, and like we've said, I don't wake up thinking about myself as a female founder or that I've got a gender lens investor. I'm sort of running a business and I have investors and they happen to be who they happen to be. And it just kind of ended up the way it ended up. And I've only had this one experience, you know, so I can't compare it to anything until I had this dinner. And I was like, oh, is it not normal for me to be asked some of these things? So I do, I do think there's something in that reaction and just in what you've been uncovering as part of this series and Iloho, there, there definitely is something there, right? Like the types of questions, the types of requests that are coming through are probably more onerous and that I can only benchmark by speaking to a founder that is not me. In terms of the actual reporting requirements, I think for Uncover, they haven't actually been out of hand for now. I mean, there are five to seven additional metrics that we do have to report on. Does it take an extra 20 minutes a quarter? Yes. Um, it's a bit more onerous, but it doesn't sort of change our, our day-to-day life majorly. I'd say the only other thing is if we ever do have an investor reply to us for a follow-on request, it probably will be, you know, one of the the funds that did the deeper DDs or did have those requirements. So most of our other investors will probably read it and not reply or reply with a one question or something like that, but rarely will sort of ask for more data. Yamo, how do you think about that? Or, or maybe more pointed question as Aloha asked before, do you have to track any metrics or is it that you sort of have the benefit of, you know, more strictly commercial investors who are not asking for anything above and beyond the financial. Um, yeah, plan. yeah, we never have to do that, sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking, going like, huh? Yeah, we don't have to do that. We track percentage of company that's women, because I always like, it's just, it's always like fun and interesting to know. And because we've been 50, 50, we've been like hovering our 50 feet for a long time. So we always just watch it. And it's like a fun, like inter-office thing. But that's also just happened in terms of, our company being 50-50, including like engineers. So we don't, we haven't had to, but I mean, like, you, you know, we picked, we had the same points around the fact that when we were trying to raise our series A, we probably, we spoke to two gender focused funds and we literally closed the round before they could finish doing DD. We were sending out emails saying, sorry, the round has closed and they were still sending like document requests. So that is true. I mean, I obviously get why that happens or I can like sort of rationalize how that ends up happening you know if women are getting less capital even from like the VC level they're probably having to also be more careful with capital probably having to answer a lot more questions about said capital so I definitely see how it happens and how it's a knock-on thing but we haven't had to do extra reporting work just because we don't have any um, gender focused investors, but there's stuff we track internally. And for what it's worth, I know it might be a little extra work, and this might be speaking from the lens of someone who doesn't have to do it like every month, but I think it's work that's necessary. If you think about, you know, the ecosystem and the space and the fact that we're all talking about we need more women and we talk about gender equity, I think one thing that's just fact that matters like no one ever gives you anything for free, right? And you also don't want 
to be in this space where people feel like it's charity to hire women or like invest in women or whatever the different impact and ESG metrics. And, you know, we're still at the early stages that mean that you can't change anything you're not tracking. And so I do think it's work that's necessary for companies to, which is why we track internally on our own, for companies to have a handle of this and measure it and, you know, not be in those situations where you're like, oh my God, I didn't realize this was going on. I do think it's very, very necessary so that it's in people's consciousness. You know, if you have a 10% women in your company, it should be something that slaps you in the face every month that you realize and think, you know, shit, I need to change that. So again, probably privilege of not having to do the reporting every month and like tracking it internally. But I do think it's tracking and it's something that is necessary. And I would encourage people to keep a handle on it. Yeah, no, I love what you've just said about you can't, uh, I guess, improve what you don't measure type thing. The tracking and the reporting and the requesting being necessary work on this on this journey. I'm going to ask you both a little bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a provocative question, which is we're all investing in um, building businesses in, in Africa, um, a massive continent that has massive deficits, massive consumption gaps, and both of your businesses in, in different sectors are fundamentally addressing addressing that in some way. Across the different conversations, including even this one today, we've referenced impact metrics, we've referenced tracking, we've referenced some conversations with investors thinking about financial return um, as a necessary condition for how they think about their investing, but not necessarily sufficient one, and and sort of social impact um, or social returns and social impact measurement being a critical piece of how they also think about their investment frameworks. Um, etc. To what extent do you think about, not to oversimplify, but the mere fact of your existence in this sort of difficult ecosystem, which, which doesn't have that much capital to begin with, right? And like I said, has these massive opportunities and these massive deficits. To what extent do you think about the mere fact of your existence as a female founder building a large company in Africa or building, aspiring towards building a large company in Africa impact enough? Or do you feel an added responsibility or impetus as a female founder to think about some of the things that, you know, Yamo, you were just describing? So what does my team look like? Um, What does my, I don't know, my product strategy look like? What does my acquisition look like? How do I get more of my product into the hands of women? Is that something that you feel burdened by on a day-to-day basis? Or do you think actually me being here, me being a role model for for other women, me inspiring other women to build these large companies is actually a wonderful impact and, and that's potentially enough? It's a mixed bag because I like to help female founders to the extent that I can, but I don't think I think about it generally. So I don't like hire thinking like I need to hire a woman in this role. But then we also happen to have to be like 50-50. And this is like including the engineering that's like across the company, Bamboo is a 50-50, you know, women. There's more women on the board of Bamboo than men. And our management team has... 50-50 actually, or there might be one more woman. It's very close 50-50 across the company. But it's just happened. There hasn't been like an intentional thing. And it might just be like a fluke, but I do believe that if you actually just focus on hiring the best people, you you know, half the world is women. You, you probably end up, you know, hiring more women if you don't focus on it. But, you know, it's something that's important to do. I do think like as women who generally have made it, made it you know, whatever that means, we generally have a responsibility to help other, you know, help other women. Um, you know, I think it's the same thing that happens with like black people or people of color in like specific spaces where you feel the responsibility to, you know, each one lift one. I don't think I do enough. I guess that's from hesitation. Yeah, you know, I don't think I do enough. I think there's still so much to do. I do think there is 
something to be said around just like the fact that we've been able to build businesses as women and do things as women should encourage other women to you know realize that the world is your oyster and there's not a lot you can't do but i generally shy away from the general concept of being anyone's role model but to the extent that you know you look at the, me running a business and it makes you want to run a business too then yes so that also and i think that is true and you know by virtue of the work we do as well at bamboo i also feel like the work we do is a lot of where my esg goes to like you know trying to help africans build wealth and give them access to investment options and for us an important mission and that's probably what we spend a lot of time thinking about how do we make it easier and faster and more secure and get more people so that's my part i'm trying to play if we get more people that have money then they can decide what they want to do with that money and take more charge of their lives both you know women as well yeah i guess for me uh, i think that the the financial return and the business fundamentals come at the core of you know everything that we we do right to building a good quality successful sustainable business and i think with that comes a lot of things and if you achieve that at scale i think comes a lot of things which is you know around creating employment having impact on suppliers you know and, and of course i'm stating the obvious but i do believe that there is something in focusing on building uh, a good quality high quality sustainable business and that that goal of saying i'm sort of supporting the livelihood of these many people and creating jobs and sourcing from these many supplier organizations and i do feel that within that something in and of itself to be proud of but i think at the core of uncovers mission um which is something true to both myself and jade as founders every single day is something around this empowerment of women that is what you know we're selling products that our core mission is around empowering women to be more confident now that could be in becoming entrepreneurs or being confident in the way they look so they show up better for an interview or it could be in inspiring them to believe that if they're a mom they can be an entrepreneur and that's kind of almost core to our product offering and what we're building as a company and so for us I say we just put a lot of emphasis on culture and at a early stage you know as a company we actually engaged an HR consultant we're being really intentional around the kind of workplace that we are creating and how that enables women who are young moms or otherwise because both founders are actually young moms in our company to come to work and to be able to be part of a high pressure high performance requirement startup but then still also manage their their personal life in the context of this conversation and really the conversations that we've been having throughout this series it sounds like there's a lot of different objectives and ways to measure success hearing both of you talk and talk about Sneha in your case you know creating businesses targeted towards women in both of your cases as well you know having more gender parity at the board level or at the company level at large at the management level you know it sounds like there's a lot of different ways um, that success can be measured through a gender lens perspective and I'm wondering how you think about what success actually looks like what is the actual goal in the context of gender lens investing if money raised is even the right metric to use or if there are some other things maybe a little bit more intangible for how we should measure success yama what do you think i do think money raised like by women founded companies is the right metric to use but i think what you're just mentioned is the fact that it feeds into a lot of things that a lot of things go into an investor deciding to give you a company money you know there's the fact that just generally culturally mentally people are more likely to give money to people that look like them that's just fact 
And so having more women at the board level, having more women as LPs, having more women at VCs, having more women at all the you know various stages of the value chain increase the odds of more women getting capital either as VCs or as fun, you know funded companies more women starting companies that seem to have good returns on investors and investments mean that more of those companies will get funded more women returning money to investors means that more women will get funded so i do think that the right you know overall metric to use will be you know how much money are women getting what percentage of women are getting money compared to men blah 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 and you know what we're just seeing is all the things that go into moving that metric yeah i'd agree with that i mean i think that money raises the enabler to do a lot of the other things like hire and create culture and have a board and all of that so i think money raise seems like the top of the funnel the key metric to then create more businesses to scale businesses and of course, then once you have those businesses, there's multiple other things that we've just mentioned that you can track. But I I actually do agree. Like, I, I feel that that is the top level metric that, you know, just number of female businesses and the number of female businesses that are funded. You know, I didn't know that only five businesses in Nigeria had, had raised a Series A, but that's a pretty scary statistic. So I feel it is the enabling kind of capital is what you need to then scale your business and that enables you to achieve all the other metrics that we've we've discussed that then need to be tracked. I also think it's important that we don't move away from that. The conversation needs to stay stuck on getting more money hands of women. And, you know, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, but then we figure it out after more women have money. Because I think what you then start happening is we don't get money in hands of women and then we start having these discussions around maybe there's a more effective way, maybe... And then everyone starts... It becomes like this mental exercise. And then we don't solve any of the problems. And I think you see that with a lot of stuff that's developed, that's, you know, tag development. I wanted to come in on this point around moving away or not moving away from the, the, the capital, capital raised by women metric, right? So the, I always call it the 2% ceiling because I challenge anybody to show me an ecosystem where that number has consistently you know, breached that 2% number. It kind of hovers, but it's kind of always there. And in some of our conversations, it's been really interesting, this tension whereby you'll talk to the capital allocators, whether it's at the fund level or the LP level, and you will hear, we think about gender lens and we think about you know, how we invest into female-focused businesses across a couple of dimensions. And we evaluate things like ownership and we evaluate things like who the founders are, so call that leadership. But sometimes we also look at what the product is, who it's serving, um, you know, what the staff um, component looks like. And so whilst the company may not necessarily be led by women or even owned by women, a business like that may meet our investment criteria right, to deploy capital as a gender lens fund. And it's very interesting. At First Check Africa for us is two things. Who are the founders? Um, and really, ultimately, within that, um, how is the equity shared between the, part, the founders? And so for us, it's about ownership and equity. It's about leadership. And to your point, Yamo, to the extent that you said that, you know, acknowledging that you said, I don't want to be anyone's role model. We think of people like you and Sneha as role models, right? And we think about the multiplier effects that happen when other, we, we talk about inspiring women to, as, helping women aspire to build larger companies. But we also think about sometimes you need to see another woman doing it. And that's probably 70% of your ability to be inspired vis-a-vis -vis being told by a VC that this company could be 10 times bigger. So I guess all of this to say that 
there's this, there's an ecosystem emerging around female founders that on the one hand says, yes, more capital into the hands of women, but also, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to think about, you know, how to allocate capital across companies that may not necessarily and often doesn't necessarily mean that the founders and the owners need to be women. But I actually personally think that we need to think more about the fact that we need more women to own their companies. We need more women to be in the leadership of these businesses. And when we say female-led businesses, and we say it's 2%, we need that 2% very explicitly to be companies that are led by women or co-founded by women to be some number that is significantly higher than 2%. For me personally, I think other things are potentially a distraction. I'm curious the extent to which you disagree with me or also sort of think about that 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 uh, capital raise metric as, as fundamentally, you know, that, an indicator of that. I definitely agree. We're still at 2%. There's so many, there's so much room between two and 50. You know, I don't think we need to be at the point where we're trying to compromise on what it means to be a female founded company and getting money in the hands of companies run by women. And we need to be a lot more like forceful because fundamentally, if you look at the different stuff you said, it just sounds like more ways to get money in the hands of like companies run by men, but let everyone still feel good that they're doing a gender thing. And, you know, which would be fine if we were like, 49.51 but we're 2.98 so there's still so much work to do and we haven't even like you mentioned reached two percent with anything resembling consistency so you know i think these are all, i think this was conversation we we're saying earlier that these are all conversations for later in the game and for a much further down the road so it's super frustrating and it comes back to we talk about as investors about supporting our portfolio companies and so for example at first check africa we've had to think very carefully about what that means it's again one of these you know i keep coming back to this necessary but sufficient type dynamic right where of course we should be helping our companies and our founders in all the ways that some of the other pre-seed funds are are helping them but i don't think that's enough i think there's an additional piece that is Acknowledging the fact that because there's a very public stated open mission around supporting female female founders and acknowledging the fact that unfortunately we exist in ecosystems where these biases exist. So, you know, when we when we think about supporting our founders, we also think, well, what is then the additional 20 percent of effort that we can do? That means that they believe concretely that by taking their first checks from us rather than closing doors, that opens doors. Um, and what is the work that we can do to mean that the next rounds are available? And even beyond that, right, because it's a small amount of capital, we can't do too many successive rounds. At some point, regardless of the size of your fund, you will, you will exhaust the amount of capital that you can allocate to a company, but you go on a journey with them for seven years or 10 years. And I think it's really interesting when we think about portfolio support as an ecosystem, I think there needs to be a dimension that says, how do I, um, as a female investor or a gender lens investor, help the companies in my portfolio continue to raise capital so that they don't fall victim to that negative signal. And if that means pounding the pavements and um, you know, going on trips with them um, to meet new investors, if it means being the one to cold call investors or cold email investors, I think that is part of the work as a female focused investor, because we have to get beyond this only five female, only five women have raised a series A in, in Nigeria. It has to be 10. It has to be 20. It has to be 40. 
And the way to get there is just, as far as I'm concerned, to pound the pavement. I think it is it's all the stuff that is already happening, but I actually think it's a little bit more to help more women into the mainstream um, of, of, of funds. For each episode of this series, my co-host Eloho Amame and I sat down for a retrospective conversation to reflect on the insights shared by our episode guests. I want to sort of take us through our reflections of the conversations that we had across the variety of perspectives. You know, we looked across the value chain from entrepreneurs, angels, fund managers, LPs, and ecosystem builders. And um, I thought that that was an interesting approach to take as it related to where the interventions needed to happen. So our first episode was entrepreneurs. Um, and I left that conversation thinking that that is the most important place to focus, right? Everything we're talking about in the context of gender lens investing is in service of the entrepreneurs. So I wanna start there. I share a similar view in that um, to me, that conversation almost felt purest, cleanest. It was very clear what we were talking about. And we were talking about the entrepreneurs and we were talking, of course, about the companies and the value that they're creating. It didn't struggle to kind of land at, you know, what is the most important place to intervene and for, both Sneha and Yamo, I think they were pretty clear that they were comfortable that you've got to stay with the capital because, you know, this sort of trickle-down type dynamic. In some ways, I suppose it's unsurprising that the entrepreneurs think that ultimately it's, it's about capital. It's unsurprising that I'm sitting there as a venture capitalist who tends to sort of think very sort of, you know, comfortable in a sort of a, a venture world, that it should be the capital. But there's lots of really interesting and I would say worthy work um, as people think about the different dimensions of, of kind of gender lens and, mm -hmm. and impact and, and female representation and things like that. Yeah. I am curious to get your perspective on different experiences that they have as founders, right? So Sneha talking about some of the impact metrics that she has to provide versus Yamo and Bamboo being like a pretty pure venture play and not necessarily having some of the impact investors and gender lens investors. Um, that at least stood out to me as maybe the most representative example of the differences in their experiences. I think, what did you think about that, that part of it? Um, in some ways, I wasn't surprised by, the, by I guess, the feedback um, from, from Sneha. I was, I was interested and I was, where I was surprised was in the level of surprise that Yamo had, mm. that Sneha had to do this stuff. She literally said, I'm just sitting here looking at you, gawking at you, because I, I, I don't know what this is. I think it was also interesting that Sneha also talked about how my cap table, yes, has different kinds of investors, which I guess is kind of making the same point a little bit, but in a more nuanced way, expressed how even within her cap table, different investors then had different information needs and different sort of placed a different burden on on, on their requirement to, to report certain things. And, you know, of course, she wasn't complaining. She was just saying this was her experience. What I also thought was really interesting from that conversation, though, was that Yamo, it was pretty interesting that she was saying, this is interesting, I've never heard this before, um, but actually I can, it makes perfect sense to me, right? In a world in which we are trying to improve outcomes for female entrepreneurs, it makes perfect sense to me that, you know, um, someone should measure, measure this stuff and someone should benchmark it and someone should be tracking it. Um, and the call it burden of having to do that feels inconsequential in the context of the out, the, the impact or the outcome. Mm -hmm. um, I loved that she acknowledged, I think she acknowledged that, um, you know, maybe it's easy for me to say, cause I don't have to do it, but I, but I, I can see completely kind of with a straight line, how that matters. There's something to be said also about Yamo telling her story of 
there being interest amongst gender lens investors who move too slowly for the round. I listened to that with a little bit of disappointment, thinking, well, we're trying to change outcomes generally, and in particular for gender lens investors, the ability to not move fast enough for a very clearly like in-demand opportunity to back a, a woman co-founder. Uh, I don't know how we should think about that. And I also felt a certain level of disappointment. Interestingly, I don't think that necessarily is by virtue of kind of being gender lens. Um, I think it's a little bit maybe by virtue of when you look at some of the funds, they have these kind of multi-strategies, right? So number one. And number two, when you look at the capital basis of those funds, um, those LPs and those capital providers perhaps have a burden on the funds themselves in terms of the information that they're gathering as part of DD, things like that. So, you know, I don't have you know, to hand the specific funds that are on Bamboo's cap table, but I would imagine that it's very sort of US-centric, US-focused, I think. I think Greycroft is on there. I think Tiger led there. Tiger, okay. Yeah. Um, but the point, that, well, first of all, Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> um, but beyond that also, I would imagine that there's also something culturally that happens when you have that. In Iran, there's been led by a US, um, a global fund, for example, versus Iran that's been led by an Africa-focused one. Um, as much as we don't like to admit that, there's also maybe something in the multi-strategy of the, of the, of the, of the, and when I say multi-strategy, I mean gender lens, venture, SME, um, impact, right? Mm. And what does that mean in terms of how quickly you move, um, how quickly you are able to move? It also kind of raises an interesting question around, you know, to circle back to your, to your original framing, if we do want to support more female founders, we do want to have more capital going to them, we want a lot of that capital to come from, um, and I don't know, should we? I think we should want more of that capital to come from Africa-focused funds, Africa-based LPs, et cetera. There almost is also a burden to kind of, when you're in a VC round, even if you are a multi-strategy fund, if it's a VC, uh, a VC potential company, it's a VC-led round, et cetera, then you kind of need to move and behave a little bit more that way. Mm. The one other thing I want to ask you about as it relates to the entrepreneurs is um, reflecting on this question that we asked everyone yeah. about what success looks like, yeah. right? And Yamo actually, for me, crystallized, she's like, yes, money raised is success. Yeah. That's the, the metric to measure in the context of this entire conversation that we're having. What did you think about that? I agreed with her, but to be honest, it was a point of view that I had coming into the conversations. And it was one that I was quite open to have my mind changed on, but it was something I'd reflected on for, for a long time. I wasn't surprised um, necessarily that mm -hmm. she landed there. Why? Um, because I think that, I think that, well, I believe and I agree with kind of this idea of there being some sort of a trickle down to, 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 the, to the capital piece. Because let's remember that this capital is going into, in theory, building interesting companies, building good companies that can create a lot of value, serve a lot of people, etc. And I think sometimes we forget that that is impactful by itself, right? Um, if Bamboo and or Uncover, both of them are successful, what's happened is they found a market need, they served it successfully, they've built large companies, they've employed lots of people, they've created founder role, role models, etc. And you can't, you can't decouple that from the capital piece, right? I think there's also a, and I think Yamo made this point, um, and I'm probably going to fluff it up, but she made this point, I thought really elegantly, which she said, at the end of the day, it's still 1% or 2% of capital, right? So 
we can have a conversation about whether or not we should talk about other things when it's 49% and 51%, but it's 2% and that's, that's work enough. Yeah. And so, you know, shifting around and measuring many, many things as, as important as the capital piece um, was something that didn't make sense for her. And I, to be honest, I, I agreed with it. Yeah. We, I shared with you just earlier, you know, Maxine Bayan and the African, yeah. African New Deal, they put out um, a post recently just looking at gender lens in the African context. So they were looking at the, the funding allocations yeah. this year. So looking at all of the rounds, 11% went to gender diverse teams, 1% went to solo female founders and founders, and 1% went to all female founding teams. So 2% total went to a, a female founding, either multiple founders or solo female founder. Yeah. In Africa, yeah. Yeah. And so that is in line with Those the global. Those are numbers. Yeah. It's in line with the global. Yeah. So I always say to people, um, in some ways, you know, and you kind of, you know, that 2% in the context of the absolute size, which is 3 billion, is actually also pretty shocking. But in some ways, we're not different from many other ecosystems. Mm -hmm. I think that 11% number is a little bit lower than it was in the last couple of years. I think it was roughly at about 17%, i.e. the amount that goes into all female, into mixed gender okay. teams. Um, but that 2%, what I always call it the 2% ceiling, it's sticky, it's pervasive, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not unique. It's, it's unfortunate. 2% in a world in which um, I think I was looking at the the number, the 2%, if I'm not mistaken, in the US is equivalent to roughly about $5 billion of capital. Whereas Africa as an entire ecosystem, 2023 was roughly, if I'm not mistaken, $3 billion of capital. So 2% of 3 billion is a pretty scary number. Yeah. Two years ago, 2% of 5 billion was $50 million, right? So that was also, I remember just shivering when I heard that number and yeah. we're sort of 30 now. Yeah, so the takeaway really is we're at 2%. 2% is so far away from 50 that why are we even talking about it? Yeah. Else? Yeah. yeah. yeah.